Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are talking about Paul and his writings. So let's get started. Good to be here with you, uh, Lindsay, as always. And it is remarkable when you start to look at uh, at Paul, St. Paul, and, and the writings that he had, uh, which ones are considered to be actually his, and, and which of the writings are considered most likely to be done by disciples of his. And what's also interesting is, what, and what oftentimes people don't realize, is that most of Paul's writing was done before the Gospels were written. And so you have, in many ways, a, a vocabulary, and we'll talk a little bit about that, vocabulary and concepts that were possibly, you know, directly used by gospel writers, or if not used, you know, uh, purposely by the writer, certainly there was a lot of influence by Paul and how people talked about the concepts and, and talked about faith and spoke about Jesus and all of that was certainly, there was a lot of influence by this uh, person named Paul and the realization that, that he, in many ways, was much more influential with the developing of the theologies than, in many ways, the gospel writers were. Was it the same time that Paul was writing that the gospels were being written? A little earlier. Even earlier than Even that. earlier. The earliest okay. gospel that we have is around 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus, would have been uh, Mark. Okay. Paul's writings are taking place in the 30s, uh, wow. so you 20 years before. So some of these these communities have a real history already. There's a there's a real tradition that has been built already for maybe 10 or 15 years uh, before they ever hear a gospel, and so they would have had to take this and somehow uh, meld. You know, the the apostles certainly had a a very important place, you know, when it came to the Christian community and such. But Paul would have certainly had a loyal following by a lot of folks uh, before literally any of the gospel writers would have necessarily had any kind of following at all. And so you wonder, you know, that though the gospel, uh, the gospels are the foundation uh, that, you know, that, that our faith is based on, uh, Paul's writings, you know, and such, and, and the letters that are his and such, is that really would have would have certainly spiced things up, <laughs> would have certainly added a lot to it, whether directly or necessarily indirectly. You have one concept of gospel, and that is the four main storytellers, you might say, as Paul, uh, not Paul, but Luke would say that, you know, this is the story I am telling you, Theophilus, based on all sorts of, you know, expertise and other sources and such. So it's the story of, of Jesus and the message of Jesus. For Paul, when he would talk about the gospel, he was talking about the message. This was not retelling the, the, the story of Jesus. In fact, he mentions virtually nothing at all a very little, uh, virtually nothing at all, though, about what Jesus did or anything like that. He is literally taking the message of the gospel, the, 
the message of that Jesus, you know, gave to the apostles, he is taking that and he is proclaiming it and recognizing that God works through the, you know, through the message, the gospel message. This is how God works. And so he centers on, on the message rather than the story. Four gospel people tell of the story. And the th there's theology in it, of course. Paul, the story's not important. What's important is the message and how, that, how God is able to work through that message when people embrace it, take it seriously, and figure out how it's all going to work. So does he invoke Jesus? Talk about Jesus? Oh yeah, he yeah. talks about Jesus. So he's, he's like Mark and assuming people know or have heard of Jesus, so he doesn't need to go in detail like that? To some degree, but but not not quite so much, again, because the Gospels were written later. So even though uh, he is taking this new message, he is taking this new message that the Messiah is born. The Messiah happened, you might mm -hmm. say. And so what he does is that uh, rather than you know, trying to prove that Jesus is Messiah or whatever. Yes, he does assume it. He said, Jesus is Lord. And, you know, and, and he works off of that, certainly. But it's more of, of having taken, you know, not so much. You might say if you were to take a medicine, he's not going to describe what's in it. He's going to tell you it's medicine. Take it. It's going to make you feel better. And so he takes the message of Jesus that, that has... Now, come to him now. Remember, uh, this was, he certainly would have been aware of some of it because he was obviously an avid Pharisee. He was one of those that was given permission to actually go in people's homes, drag people out, and send them to jail in chains because he believed that people who were following this Jesus, that they were out to destroy the Jewish tradition. When you think about what he actually believed. This was not a, just another branch of, of, of Judaism. This was a group that was trying to destroy everything that they held sacred. And so as a consequence, given permission to drag them in, 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 out of their homes, haul them off to jail so that they couldn't be destructive. He has this incredible conversion experience, obviously. And now it has been, some of this has been revealed to him. He does go off to study for a while, about three years or so. He goes off to study and pray as he, he shares some of that in, in his writings. That he comes to this awareness of the message of Jesus. And, you know, that it's like, now I've got to take this message and tell people how this message can change their lives. How this message Will set them free, how this message will open them to the ways of God. He's not worried about the story part. It's the message. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when you think about it, he's a remarkable man, you know, uh, that what he did and, and what he was able to accomplish, that he used that same zeal, you might say, that he had when he was a, a Pharisee. He uses the same zeal, but now uh, as an apostle, and he does describe himself as an apostle. Um, but even then, he uses a different definition of apostle than the scriptures really do, and that I would say that we probably 
would necessarily think of when we talk about an apostle, we're thinking about the 12. Mm -hmm. uh, when Paul thinks about an apostle, he thinks about, you might say, an ambassador, an agent on behalf of who has been given authority and such. Apostle with a capital A versus a small a. A small a. And so it's, it's, it's again, remarkable. So we have this character, you know, Paul, as we, uh, born in Tarsus, uh, which would be um, uh, right now modern-day Turkey, uh, the area that he was born in. He was born as a Roman citizen, which, again, is significant, you know, later on, uh, because it gives him certain rights and uh, uh, privileges, as a, as a as a Roman citizen, figure he was he was born around uh, 10 A.D. So 10 A.D. Um, it is obvious from a lot of different vantage points. It's obvious that he was well educated, and he was well educated in the in the school of the Pharisees, which was uh, the group that had a strict observance. You know. Uh, strict observance you know you look at that you know how they dressed uh, beards hats uh, laws rules that's why the pharisees you know oftentimes saying wait a minute you, you can't pick the heads of grains or you can't lift that cot or you can't you know they were strict observance and so that would have been his background so uh, he was one or he was just educated in no he in was a, one he was one. he was one he was a pharisee and and it was because of that, that he was given permission then to go and persecute Christians. Um, Luke indicates in, in Acts of the Apostles, Luke indicates that, the Gospel writer Luke, um, <laughs> indicates that he studied with Gamaliel, who was a, a very renowned rabbi. Um, Paul never makes this claim in any of his writings, uh, but it is Luke that indicates, you know, now, and we have to remember Luke was a third-generation writer. So whether he actually knew that or not, or whether that was simply a piece of information that was passed on or whatever, it's questionable, but it could make some sense too. But to be fair, you don't know you're working with someone that's like some great scholar until probably 20 years later when you realize what kind of a history they have, right? Well, true, but Gamaliel, if he had worked with him, would have already been rather renowned. Mm, okay. Yeah, he would have already been well known, you know, because his he would have been. Uh, that part of the story wasn't important. Well, exactly. Paul. <laughs> you know, but but exactly, you know, it wasn't about it wasn't about him. Uh, although sometimes some of his writings get to be a little bit about him, uh, but this was not. It just wasn't important. The message was important. So anyway, Luke, you know, indicates in Acts that um, uh, that Gamaliel was his teacher, uh, but Paul, like I said, never makes that claim in any of his writings. So we really don't know. He was extremely zealous. We get that a lot from his reading writings, I should say. Uh, he was extremely zealous, um, and it's why he persecuted the early Christians. Um, and as I mentioned, he believed that they intended to destroy everything that he and so many others held sacred and holy. And so we're not going to let this, you know, this little cult group destroy everything that we've built over hundreds and hundreds of years. And so there was a sense of 
they deserve to be persecuted. They deserve to be wiped out. And Paul was going to do his part to do that. His great revelation, we figure, would have taken place somewhere around 34 AD. So he would have been around early, mid, mid-early 20s, somewhere in there, that he would have had his, his great epiphany or revelation. When he fell off his horse. Which is interesting that there was no horse. What? And there was no horse. Uh, it no. simply says he fell to the ground. Uh, it does <laughs> All not. All the pictures, though. Well, um, unfortunately, that's. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, you're busting my bubble here. I know. It's like, you know, having the Magi come to the, uh, come to the stable when the scriptures say they entered the house. Yes. So, uh, so there was no horse. Uh, sorry to break it to you. That's Fine. the way it kind of works. Um, he believed that um, through this revelation, he believed that he was called to preach to everyone, including the Gentiles. This would have been an outrageous thought to a Pharisee. This would have been an outrageous thought to pretty much any Jew, you know, not just the Pharisees, that somehow this message was meant for for everybody when which is interesting when you compare this again his writings being earlier than the gospels Mm -hmm. and the gospels really centering saying jesus came for the chosen people Mm -hmm. and yet here you have this young turk upstart whatever who is who is bringing into it a concept that Everybody, you know, is to be, this message is proclaimed to be to proclaimed to everyone. That God's intent is that everybody hear this message of freedom, of healing, of wholeness, of possibility. So this, his conversion wouldn't have happened much after resurrection. That is, cor- that is correct. That is correct. It would, this would have been in the early, yeah, you're right. This, this would have been in the early early parts because you figure that uh they figure uh, jesus would have been around 33 Mm -hmm. you know death resurrection time so this would have been shortly after we're talking yeah very shortly after so when you start to think about it the apostles wouldn't have necessarily gotten their act together yet you know they would have been in just the beginning stages um because there is all sorts of controversy in many ways around when you know the the uh the descent of the spirit came upon, you know, Pentecost experience mm-hmm. happened. Uh, there are those who say just it all happened in that same weekend, you might say. Um, but uh, depending upon when that took place, this was very early on. So you start to look at what he was espousing. I mean, literally, um, <clears throat> there would have been those that, you know, would just would have said he was a whack job. He would just uh, would have been considered a whack job. Um, so... Did he, you said he grew up, or no, he was born... About 10 AD. Yeah, in Turkey area? Yeah. What would Did he go and live in, like, Jerusalem? Probably would have been trained there, because okay. that's where the, the great so centers... that's how he probably heard about mm-hmm. Jesus. And, okay. The great centers for being trained as a Pharisee would have certainly been probably in, the, and most likely in that area, rather than, you know, where he was from in Tarsus. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have ended up, which wouldn't have been unusual that if he came from, let's say, a background of a little bit of means, 
it would not have been unusual to have sons sent to some of the great learning centers. Boarding school. Yeah, which, which it is then possible that Gamaliel might have very well been a, a teacher. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just those were facts that just simply were not important uh, and, and were not really shared. You know, so when you think about what this young man really, what he believed was had been revealed to him, uh, he literally spent the next 30 plus years to, to prove or to wow. make it happen. Um, we figured that he, uh, he preached in his ministry uh, was for about some 30 plus little years so that he, we figured that he would have died sometime in his mid-late 60s, somewhere there. Hmm. Um, we learn a lot about Paul, uh, not nearly as much from uh, Luke, although we do learn something. We learn a lot about Paul from his own letters and his own writings. And some of that even within his, um, uh, probably some of the disciples who wrote letters. So we've, we find that there would have been a lot of information uh, shared by Paul himself and, and not by the other writers. Again, he, his writings being established and kind of taking, taking place and, and actually forming and beginning to form and shape a tradition before the Gospels came on, you know, came in, wow. into play. And, and sometimes we forget that because, again, we think almost in linear terms. You know, it's like, well, Paul's letters and all of that are after the Gospels in the Bible. So mm -hmm. therefore, right. uh, it must have been as opposed to just like, you know, Genesis. You know, well, that's because it's the first one written. Well, no, it's because it's about the first things. So the, uh, the arrangement, you know, is as they put this together, Gospels, when it comes to New Testament... The Gospels are always, always primary. The other letters build upon that, but they do not have the primacy that the four Gospels have. Even though much, some of the tradition would have already been established by the earlier writings of Paul. In, in Paul's works, um, there are 13 letters or epistles uh, ascribed to Paul. Many commentators, though, believe that only seven of those were actually written in his hand. Uh, the other six, most likely written by disciples, communities that followed him and, and honored him in lots of different ways. Um, why is that? Part of it is, is how, they, how they, the vocabulary that they use, how they talk about events, where you have, you know, in, at one point, Paul saying, I did this, or don't do this to the community. And a disciple might say, well, this is what was done. This is what we did. And you start to see some of those discrepancies, and you realize, hmm, this isn't written by the person. It's, it's They're getting out of hand. Oh, look, we have a letter from Paul. <laughs> yes. Well, and, and you know, like, you have to remember that the, uh, exactly, that they were not, they were not re uh, constrained by that kind of accuracy. Sure. You know, they were disciples, and, and it would have brought notoriety to their writing. And if they were uh, disciples of Paul, you know, they would have written in that vein with that. Sure. And you're right. In many ways, the uh, it would have been used to address issues that would have taken place long after Paul was on 
was in the picture. So the ones that we have that, that we're virtually certain that uh, were actually written by Paul and are called Pauline uh, writings, you have Romans. Romans by far is the, is the longest book. It's the one that's probably the most technical, the theological developments of how he thought and, and for example, the concept of, uh, of being uh, you know, saved uh, through faith, you know, that whole idea of <clears throat> one had to profess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Um, that is developed in Romans, and uh, it is further developed in ways more succinctly in Galatians. But you have Romans. You have First and Second Corinthians. Uh, Galatians. So we can blame him for the love is patient. Mm -hmm. love yeah, is we can blame him for that. <laughs> okay. You have Philippians. You have First Thessalonians, and you have uh, Philemon. These were uh, what what we believe, or I should say, commentators believe, that are actually written by Paul. The other six: Ephesians, Colossians, Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, uh, or Titus. Uh, they are often oftentimes referred to as Deuteropauline literature. Uh, written by most likely disciples uh, who wrote for various reasons to address issues, circumstances, whatever it might have been that was taking place within the particular community at the time. The writings are, are really uh, kind of arranged in, in two groups. You have the, the first and the major group uh, would be letters to communities. Romans, Corinthians, uh, the Thessalonians, uh, and then you have those that are uh, letters to individuals, usually much shorter letters, speak of relationships that also that he had. So you have, you know, the letter to Philemon, you have the letter to Titus. Those would be examples where they are uh, in many ways much more personal, but some of those writings that would have been letters to individuals rather than um, to communities, per se. <clears throat> when you start to look at uh, the letters and the epistles and such, um, they, they, genuine, they generally follow a, a structure which would have been very typical of the Greek and Roman uh, ways of writing letters or epistles. Um, this, the normal structure would have been you didn't they weren't in an envelope or anything they would have had the the beginning part is the address my brothers and sisters or you know Corinthians you know it would have been an immediate address then you have the body of the letter making the point and such and then you have uh, the conclusion which usually would contain a personal greeting of some sort and the instructions. Um, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. And that's based on the major part of the letter, you know. Um, and and so it's it's then ended with that more personal touch and instructions. Some are more formal letters. For example, like you know Romans. That's a very formal. And like I said, it's probably his most formal, his most technical. Uh, epistle, you know, to the Roman community. Uh, informal, again, would be the letters to individuals. Uh, more informal, and you can see this, for example, particularly in Philemon, 
how he writes, he obviously knew Philemon. And, and they obviously had a, a long-standing relationship uh, when he talks about Onesimus and, you know, the slave. And, uh, and so he, he writes to Philemon and saying, you know, uh, I've done some pretty good stuff for you. Uh, you kind of owe me here. And it's, it's really recognizing that uh, there was a long-standing relationship between these two people. So some more formal, some obviously less, less so. As I mentioned before, uh, Lindsay, that um, Paul's writing and, and some of the more technical uh, writing that he did, it's the origin of much of, of what we would call a Christian vocabulary. Um, for example, uh, a, a Christian, I should say, a Christian vocabulary that is, that is specifically associated with Jesus's ministry, the message that he was trying to get out. So, for example, words like apostle, gospel, justification by faith, these all originate, originate in, uh, in, in Paul's writings, and he develops them. Of that an apostle is not just one of the twelve, but is, is one who has been given the task to take the message and to get it out and has the authority to do so to speak on the, the master's behalf, you might say. Uh, you have the term even gospel, uh, again, not so much describing a particular book, but it's the message, the gospel message, salvation, the gospel message, God's love, the gospel message. You know, that, that's his definition of gospel has, has, is really uh, the foundation of, of, of how we understand it and, and how we look at it. Justification by faith. That this is not about whether a particular label you have or how you were born or which family you were born in. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's probably in Roman such where a lot of this is taking place. It is also uh, upheld, you know, by uh, many of our Protestant brothers and sisters, too, because that whole concept of justification by faith obviously is huge when it comes to Martin Luther and, you know, and, 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 and the arguments that went back and forth. We find it repeated again, as I mentioned, in Galatians, where it is uh, not, not as long of a development, but it's, it's much more succinct. I'll get to that also a little bit later. Uh, with, with when I just hit hit a couple of points with Romans. As I mentioned, you know, when we, we began, is that Paul's writings predate any of the written Gospels. And so at times we forget that uh, the, the four Gospel writers didn't sit in a, in a uh, small room someplace and have all of this put in their heads and their hearts by some huge divine basting, you know, <laughs> machine. Or I should say, you know, uh, uh, to squeeze in somebody's ear. This came out of a culture, groups of people, communities, people traveling back and forth. Paul was a well was a well traveled person. We we get that, you know, just by the fact that he hops on ships and various boats and and things without any difficulty. Someone who didn't have familiarity with that isn't going to necessarily do that. Mm -hmm. 
You know, I think about my own mom and dad. They were not going to hop on a plane and, you know, and fly off to Europe. That just wasn't even a concept. My nephew, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, when I think of just some were, were my nieces and nephews, he was a person that was familiar of how to get around. And so he, there would have been a lot of influence and he would have been talking to a lot of different groups. And, and this would have had, whether directly or indirectly, most likely would have had some influence on the, on the gospel writers. <clears throat> and so when we talk about that, that he's not trying to write a gospel, that, that is not his task. You know, that was for somebody else. Uh, but he wanted to preach the gospel, the message. That's, that was his task. He wanted to preach the good news of Jesus. And, and as I hinted before, that's why you, you find virtually nothing about what Jesus did or, or, or any of that, because it was the message that was important, not relevant who he necessarily cured. Mm -hmm. The message was important. So Paul, as I said, doesn't center on words or actions. Uh, rather, he centers on the power of God working through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and that this power of God was not meant simply for a chosen group. This, as he came to the awareness, this was mentioned, this was meant, not mentioned, <laughs> this was meant for everybody. No exceptions. This is, the power of God was for everyone and, and not to be somehow relegated to, uh, to a small group of any particular kind. Um, he will, Paul will usually identify himself as, a, um, as an apostle, as I mentioned before, is that he will, he will say, and he does this in, in various uh, uh, parts of his letters, for example, in Romans um, and also in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, he is an apostle, he is one who is sent for him one who is an apostle is one who is sent who represents the sender and is entrusted with his authority and with his message and this paul would tell you comes right from the source you know no he wasn't one of the 12 uh, he most likely didn't you know witness the crucifixion or anything like that though he was certainly would have been aware of it again as his travels and everything mm -hmm. as a pharisee he certainly would have been in circles uh somebody said well could he have witnessed it theoretically it would have been possible yes theoretically so he probably wasn't um, those no-name pharisees in the passion story probably not um but but when when he becomes an apostle um, it is God who is the source of, of his apostleship, uh, not because he was one of the twelve. It is God who was the source. And he argues that point. I mean, he does, uh, I just mentioned two places where he talks about it, but there are multiple places where in his writings where he makes it very clear, I am an apostle, and this came right from, you might say, the big guy himself. Um, this was not somehow passed on to me by another. This is mine because it was revealed to me by God himself. And so uh, he makes no bones and he does not apologize, you know, that, that he would be considered as an apostle. So that's, that's an important 
that's an important piece as, as we look at what Paul is trying to accomplish and how he's trying to accomplish it is that there's, you know, evidently then as time goes on, you have the conflict between Peter and Paul. Uh, when, when it is revealed to Paul in a very real way that uh, this was meant, you know, for the, for the Gentiles too. That fact, he says that, you know, because you have basically shut me out, you, you disregarded me, now you're going to have to deal with that. <laughs> there are consequences to that. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. And then he starts to, to show and to give examples, you know, to the twelve. Of, of just the tremendous amount of work that God is accomplishing. And you have, you know, what they call the Council of Jerusalem that, you know, where they, they discuss about what, what can we expect of them? What do we demand of them? What, you know, who are these people? How do we know that what he is bringing back to us, you know, has value or is true? And, and so then you have the witnesses uh, of, again, who by Paul... Uh, who witnessed on his behalf, but he would have, it could very easily have been considered one of these young upstarts that were trying to mess with the, you know, the, this message that was supposed to be for the chosen people. And he just, he breaks through that barrier. When he tells the story about, you know, uh, once he has the revelation, then he has to go to this house. And it's, it's you think about this, you know, someone saying, okay, you are to help this man, and they, they would have known his reputation. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he would have been well known of who this guy was. And, and uh, was this a trick? Was this a ruse to find out the inner circles? What, and yet, you know, he was he getting it from all sides. Mm -hmm. He would have been getting it from all sides. And yet he sticks with it. And... And not only does he stick with it, but he really helps, you know, the 12 to come to this realization of, wow, you know, we really do need to open this up, particularly when you have the gospel again with the, with the Canaanite woman and, and with the Roman and such where, where G, they have Jesus, you know, again, you wonder how much influence some of this had where they have Jesus saying you don't throw it to the dogs mm -hmm. ah but even the dogs get the scraps is that there was some real back and forth here and and Paul would have been right in the midst of it hmm. uh, also bringing them though with him you know the the eyewitnesses of, of, of the tremendous things happening and they would have also seen this that when the community in Jerusalem was was near death's door, you might say, because of, of just all, everything that was happening, is that it was Paul who went to the various communities and said, we need to help these folks out. They're really hurting. Persecution, there was famine, uh, just, uh, you know, it was just a lot of stuff happening with, you know, with the whole issue of the, the Romans in the 70s, you know, when the temple was finally destroyed. I mean, there was just a whole lot happening there. And it was Paul who convinced many of these communities to kind of cough up, <laughs> you know, and saying, oh, either, this is, either this is what we truly believe and, and this is how we live, or it's all a bunch of baloney. And so he really uh, engages these folks. 
The letters, there is also a connection, you might say, between the letters and how we would describe liturgy at that time. Um, you know, he would, these letters and, and such, he they encouraged the communities to read and to reflect uh, when they gathered. These letters of his would have been terribly important of being a real source of reflection for the smaller communities when they gathered together saying, well, what does this actually mean? Because they had to kind of figure all of this out too. Now, in, be, in the beginning, they wouldn't have been guided necessarily by the 12 because that hadn't happened yet. The gospel's not written. And so it would have been trying to take the letters and people who would have known Paul and saying, how do we make sense out of this? What does this mean for us? And, and, and how do we act upon it? How do we act upon it? Um, how do we take this to heart? And that, would have, which certainly was a message in the Gospels uh, time and time again, you know, it can't be simply lip service. It has to be somehow lived. So the community would take these letters. Uh, they would discern Paul's meanings, uh, meaning into the letter, and decide then what was the particular action like what we do now with the Bible. Well, exactly. <laughs> it was it was the origin of small groups. I mean, really, yeah. it was the origin of small groups. How do you read the scriptures? How do you discern what they're saying? And now what are, what's the action that we take? Could all of the people read? Or is that why someone read it to them, like what we do now in our liturgy? Many would not have been able to read uh, literacy, depending upon which community now. Uh, some of like Corinth, uh, you know, some of the uh, communities where there was much more of a, um, uh, you know, not, I don't say not industrial, but commercial, you know, uh, center, there would have been a much greater sense of education. So, but in, in some of the more backwater or some of the smaller groups, there would have been a goodly number of folks that would not have been able to read. And so you would have depended on uh, disciples, you might say, to take these letters and to read them out loud so that everybody would have heard it, understood it, and then, you know, moved forward. Sure. So many of them would have been, they would have, these letters... Kind of like we do at church. Well, Someone yeah. reads it to us. Exactly. And that's that's why, when we talk about it in church, that's why sometimes the frustration, you know, with people who want to read along is that there is a difference when something is read to you there's a different sense than when you're reading it because you're not really necessarily listening to what they're, what you're doing is you're following it. And if we don't say, you know, read page 14 and then put your books closed and then, then I preach. We say the gospel of the Lord. We proclaim. That's why those who proclaim should do so well so that people hear it well. That's why, you know, when we have Deacon Mark does you know, the, he has that one gospel memorized. <laughs> yeah, for and, funerals, yes. And you hear it differently. And I, and I was thinking about that. When I just watch him proclaim it, and this largely is what would have been done. Mm -hmm. These letters would have been memorized by a lot of folks. There is something different when you are engaged. And I know a couple of priests that they have the gospels memorized. And every Sunday, no matter how long or how short, they stand in the middle there. They have no book, and they proclaim the gospel. Challenge. Oh, huge challenge. No, I mean for you. Well, challenge. I'll just say. <laughs> yeah, a little more than I might be capable of. But I tell you, it grabs your attention. It really grabs you. 
And that's why sometimes, you know, the, 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 the whole thing with um, people who, you know, say, well, I got to see the words. No, you got to listen to the words because how those words, but I digress a bit. Uh, so, so many of these letters, you might say, they, the letters were to teach, the letters were to encourage, the letters were to correct, you know, there is some of that. So as the communities circulated these letters, and the communities would have circulated, is that he would have written for the Romans, and, and they would have said, hey, can we borrow a couple of your scrolls, and we'll borrow, <laughs> you know, the communities were connected, and it would have taken time, so a scroll might very well have been, you know, written to the Romans, but it was being used by the Corinthians, maybe for a year, a couple, maybe a couple of years, is that these scrolls were being passed around, you know, to the different, uh, different communities, and they took on, uh, these scrolls took on, you might say, in many ways, the authority of Christian scriptures. They became, you might say, in, in many ways, the, the common tradition from which the, um, from which the early communities would have been educated. And, and it would have been later on that the Gospels would have, been, would have taken on a value uh, and, and, but in a different way, they would have taken on a value of, of looking at, you might say, what did the master say? Because in ways, these the letters and the epistles and such, these were Paul's interpretation, or at least what he believed God revealed to him, is that the, the Gospels, in a different way, were seen as these, in some cases, these were people who walked with and talked with him and would have been his disciples. Uh, and so they had, a, they had an authority that, was, that took on a little bit of a different tenor. Hmm. Um, and, and, and of course, then, you know, the, the, without the Gospels, in a sense, we have, we have virtually nothing um, because we, we know, you know, it talks about Jesus and, and what he did and what he said and those kinds of things. Um, so you wonder if you hadn't had Paul going around to all those communities would the gospel have gospels have meant so much would they have spread so wide would they have that's that's a very good point is that because when the diaspora came and you know there was the persecution and they went to many of these there would have been established communities in these places they wouldn't have gone into just hostile territory necessarily they might have but more likely they would have said, "Okay, you know, we got a we got a group over here in Corinth. We got a group over here in, uh, you know, Thessalonica. Um, you know, that's why, why don't you go and hang out there for a while until things settle down?" So yes, these uh, these traditions and this foundation would certainly have been uh, a rich bed, you might say, for the gospel message uh, to take off in a whole different way. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, that would have certainly been. A piece of it. Uh, from these letters, also, we have a picture of how the how the early church operated. You know, when you think about you know the the example of where people sold their farms and you know and everything was held in common. We have no idea how long that lasted, <laughs> but we have an idea, and not only from just the scripture letters, but from other sources. We do know that it happened, and so something obviously very powerful happened there. That the whole community or someone would decide to sell a farm and 
you know, use it for the common good. Mm -hmm. So we know that, that there were these kinds of things that took place. We know from various letters of the type of worship that they gathered for a type of Eucharist, you know, in small communities in the, in the houses. We know that you, there were kind of uh, disciples, you know, of, of Paul's or others that had these established communities, and Paul would speak of them. For example, one of Aquila, who, who was a, uh, a connection that he made, in, and there was a strong relationship there of, the, of, of how these, these people already were, you might say, local ministers of, of communities where they broke bread, where they shared the meal, where, you know, where um, the questions that they had of, about why people were doing what they were doing and, and the questions they had about who really belongs or not. Uh, uh, there are just a lot of these different examples in the scriptures uh, and Paul's letters and such that really speak to the whole construct, you know, of, of how the system began. Because when you think about it, is that literally less than 100 years after Jesus, and he talked about, you know, let there be no, you know, one necessarily in charge. It is God alone who is in charge. Let be no, when, he, when he really tore apart, you know, the, the, the formal structures, less than 100 years, we got Paul talking to Timothy and talking about the formal structures, <laughs> about bishops, about, you know, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it, is that we are a people, I'm not so sure we could even deal with other structures. That um, so those some of those structures actually were developed and put in place uh, very shortly after Jesus said, "I don't want you to do that." <laughs> you know, uh, so but you know it's it's part of part of who we are as church. Um, it talked about also, as I mentioned, just how they worshipped, uh, how the church governed itself. You know, who was in charge? Who were the authorities? Who were you know, these people that we would go to to answer questions. Um, and it also, uh, it talks about how quickly in some areas it grew, you know, that uh, this, this new group called The Way at first, uh, before they were ever called Christians, this new group really took off. And it took off like wildfire in, in some of these communities. And when you think about it, it really was a new way to live, a new way of looking at the world. People who felt that, that, that God had hated them for so long were being given a message of that God loved them and would never stop loving them. Um, Paul's message, when you think about it, nothing can separate us from the love of, you know, love of Christ. Um, nothing, death, disease, whatever he says. Um, and then he describes, you know, the... the you know, the, the famous scripture of Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, love, you know, is not conceited. I mean, they were, things were really happening. Mm -hmm. Things were really happening. And in many ways, you know, I, I think about that, that maybe, in some ways, maybe we are in a similar time today where Christianity is not necessarily the glue that holds our culture or society together any longer. I think it, it used to be, certainly it used to be. 
again, when the, you know, when the Roman Empire becomes the Holy Roman Empire. Now you have a whole government and all of that that helps bring all of that together. Today, you don't have that. Today, multiple religions and worldwide aspects of it and saying, you know, what holds us together then? Well, I think there are some basic principles that oftentimes are rooted within Christianity. But I also think that maybe it demands of us when we think about this. As communities, we need to make living this gospel message, we need to make it more real. Rather than shoving down someone's throat, we need to make it real by the way we live. What, you know, I think about what would people say about this Catholic community of holy angels? Would it ever be noted in a paper or someplace that, wow, this community really, they sold farms in order that it could be given to the common good. They, they went out and, and they shared so that everybody had something to eat. Or, you know, when you think about that, what, what would they say about our Catholic communities in, in different places? Something, th something for us yeah. to think about. It's one of those things that I do ponder once in a while, <laughs> as I tend to. Um, Romans, as, and I want to just to touch, you know, because Romans is such a major, major, major epistle. Romans is by far the largest and considered by many to be the most important of his works uh, by both Catholics and Protestants alike. It's really where he started shaping and forming his theologies. And much of what you find in Romans is taken then and is applied you know, in, or developed in other, in other writings. One of the key concepts that, that, he, uh, that, that he speaks of is this justifi justification by faith. And that is spoken, you know, with numerous, it's, it's numerous chapters. Literally, the concept is developed, you know, from chapter 1 in Romans through chapter 8. I mean, that whole beginning part talks about, you know, the uh, uh, justification by faith. It is further than developed again, taking much of what was done in Romans. Then he further develops that and, and puts it even more succinctly in Galatians. I have a feeling it has a lot more to do with the fact that it was a time when there was so much going on inside his head and his heart. And it's like, bleh, you have to kind of get it all out there. And then once it's kind of just all out there, then as he went to different communities, he would take some of these concepts and then he would develop them. He would shape them better, mold them better. Uh, and, and, you know, in the different communities that he, uh, that he visited. And, uh, but it was kind of his initial building blocks. I think that has more to do with it uh, than anything else. Now, they certainly had their issues, there's no question, and we find that in Romans too. But that whole first part of Romans in so many ways is just this development of, of his theology, his Christology, his, you know, all of these things are being shaped and formed, and, and these are the building blocks then that you find him using in some of the other, uh, the other letters. So, so we could spend hours and hours and hours and, and days and days and days on each one of these, uh, it would be amazing to just to take each letter, each just like with the gospel, or whatever. Um, but we might have to do that in the next four or five years <laughs> to do that. Um, but that's really uh, 
when you look at generally Paul and his letters and such, it's, it's really, he's a remarkable, remarkable man. Um, not always liked. He could, he could be, he could, he could be a real pain in the behind, you know, sometimes. <laughs> and he, he states that himself um, because of, of just the zeal that this man would have gone at things. He probably was, could have been rather put offish, I mean, you know, by, by folks. Sure. Um, but a remarkable man, an incredibly bright man. Um, someone that that just went and did it, you know, and, and nothing was going to get in his way uh, eventually to do all of that. And even when he was, you know, kind of waiting for his execution, is that he was still writing, um, still exhorting different communities to, you know, kind of, you know, don't worry about me. I'm going to be fine. This is what you got to center on. So obviously he was getting information from these communities. Mm -hmm. and, and when I say, you know, he's waiting for execution, because he was a Roman citizen, he wasn't necessarily going to be put in a jail cell. He would have been, you might say, on house arrest, where there would have been access to him. He just would have had guards, mm -hmm. you know, make sure that he didn't go anyplace. But there would have been access to him. But it, and it's ev evident that there was, because he's exhorting people as he, he will talk about, I'm sitting here, you know, waiting um, but this is what you need to do. So uh, just a remarkable, remarkable man. And, and what, what also astounds me sometimes is that as I, as I learn, you know, grown in knowledge about some of these things, of, of just all the different ways that this message of Jesus was getting out. <clears throat> and, and, you know, when Jesus himself says, you know, you can be still, but the very stones you know, will scream. Is that, 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 that's what comes to mind, that this message was so dynamic, was so powerful, was so different, was so life-changing that one way wasn't the only way that this message was getting out. You had the gospel writers, you had the apostles, you had different disciples, and then you have people like Paul that, that weren't part of the main structure but he was out there just setting hearts on fire, setting it ablaze, you might say, uh, with the zeal that he would have used when he was a Pharisee. But for such an incredible turnaround. But it did take time for him, you know, to come to terms with all of that. When I think about, you know, he would have had to have such a major, major change because he was literally letting go of, of just so much that he would have been taught since he was a small child. And yet, it's like, that's why he says, you know, my apostleship comes from God. This was revealed to me. It's probably why he fell off his horse. Well, <laughs> or at least fell to the ground. Well, he could have fallen to the ground and just left the horse out of it. Maybe. Anyway. All right. Well, that was very good information. A lot of good information about Paul. I think we'll leave it there and we'll pick up next time continuing our journey through the Bible. We're almost there. Yes. Almost to the end. Yes. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, hope you enjoyed that and we'll see you next time.